0: The End Book Deserts podcast is a part of the Coalition for Literacy Equity. Created by a team of passionate literacy advocates, CLE exists to unify the nationwide network of interdisciplinary programs that provide books to children and caregivers, promote literacy engagement, and address book access as an issue of equity. Find out more about our programming and events and become a member at www.litequity.com. For the past 17 years, I've called New York my home, and I've been delighted to feature many New York-based literacy organizations on the podcast. I've watched in amazement as literacy initiatives have grown in the Bronx, and today, I'm pleased to head to the Borough of Brooklyn for this episode. I'm featuring Rebecca Cohen of Brooklyn Book Bodega. So I'm thrilled today to be
1: joined by Rebecca Cohen of Brooklyn Book Bodega. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I think our paths are similar in that you started as a teacher and moved. That was what sort of fueled your fire for literacy and social justice. Tell me your backstory, how you got to where you are today and the origins of Brooklyn Book Bodega. I started off in education a number of years ago
2: and saw in my classroom that there were kids who did not read could not read weren't interested in reading but when they found a book that they liked they wanted to read and it wasn't necessarily the book that they were told to read but they had you know some sort of motivation internal motivation for it that sparked something for them and really turned on a light bulb and so that spark, then really, I would say create a fire, right? And they, all of a sudden, their reading lives helped them in their school lives. It helped them open doors of opportunity. It helped them get things that they wanted or needed because all of a sudden reading was a key that they had. They had that reading was a door and they had the key. Um, And so I saw that time and time again in my own classroom as a teacher And then fast forward a number of years, I had my own kids and I was seeing in their classrooms, the same thing I'd seen with my students, that there were kids in their classroom who some of the first books that they were touching were the books that they had in their school, that they didn't, they didn't own books. And I was seeing a big disparity in terms of that. So Brooklyn Book Bodega was really born out of this experience I had as an educator and then conversations that I started to have with parents in my kids' school. And we really saw it as an equity issue, as an access issue, as an expense issue, and believed that that there shouldn't be barriers to book ownership. And so we decided to start to work on that issue and what would it mean if kids could have access to books and all kids could have access to books.
1: So with that backstory, tell us what is going on at the Brooklyn Book Bodega currently. Are you an actual physical location that distributes books? What are some of the projects and events and resources that you provide to the community?
2: So we really see ourselves as connectors and as um, literacy advocates within within the community. And so... We started off in 2019 by throwing these big book parties and bringing people together. During the pandemic, that was impossible. And so we really shifted to book distribution and providing books to folks giving out e or alongside food pantries or to educators whose kids were stuck at home. And they would, you know, fill their trunks up with books and drop them off for their students. Now we're in a place where we are back to throwing big book parties and tabling in the community and giving books out to folks this year we will be bringing people into our warehouse which we call the book hub and we will be working on bringing back more of those book parties and more of that programming and when I'm talking about book parties really this idea of fun around literacy and maybe bringing in authors or illustrators and an excitement around books and then in addition to that We continue to fill book orders day in and day out so that community members, whether they're block associations, districts, educators, um, can also distribute books to the youth and families they serve. Well, so I
1: love the idea of these book parties because when you talk about your experience as a classroom teacher, it resonates with what my experience was. We had a school library that was totally non-accessible. Kids could never go in there. And I My classroom library was just a dilapidated bookshelf in the back of my classroom that was entirely filled off of my own dime. And so literacy became something that wasn't particularly joyful, which... I'm assuming you're a lifelong reader. Literacy is probably joyfully for you. It's probably joyful for me. It was probably a joyful experience for the kids in your home. So I'm thrilled to hear about this joyfulness around these literacy, these book parties. What do they look like? How do kids get invited? How do families get invited? And what is that experience? Yes, we do. Joy
2: should be a part of reading. I have a friend who often talks about this idea of like, reading should not be like, eat your vegetables, right? Like, you know, if it starts, you can't, you're not going to survive on candy. Right. But like if a book is like candy and it like, what's your appetite, you're going to read more. And hopefully it's going to, you know, the, some people are like, do not read graphic novels. Maybe it, they think they're immature or whatever they have, whatever sort of thoughts they have about those. I'm like, please read those graphic novels. They're going to bring you joy. You're going to learn something and you're going to open a door that will lead you some, somewhere else in terms of knowledge building and joy and comfort. So the book parties, um, they look like a variety of things we might have. We're we are donation based. So the books we're getting are from the community from donated from bookstores and from publishers. And so we're always, I mean, I think when you something there's like this visceral thing about books, right? You want to touch them, look at them, they're colorful, they're engaging. So I think we think a lot about display and color, even our logo is very vibrant and fun. We might have we might invite illustrators who are going to at a certain time do a draw off, and you know, maybe the crowd will throw out suggestions and they'll from a reading they did, and they'll draw those things. We recently had Ruth Chan, Cecilia Ruiz, and Tira Hader come, and they you know, it was like draw an octopus reading a book and each of them doing that in their own style, which is super interesting and fascinating. And kids there got got copies of their books. They're, they're all author illustrators and um, also got to select other books they might be interested in. Sometimes we're alongside other organizations. Sometimes it's more simple. Sometimes folks get tickets when they come in and those tickets they hold on to pick out their books and then those tickets are, they give back in exchange for the free books they're getting. We have a big mailing list and we try to pop up in different parts of Brooklyn and we use social media to send out information to schools and parent blogs to to get the word out.
1: So when you're speaking, I'm wondering who your target audience is, because I feel I'm experiencing this at home right now as I see my seventh grader slog through assigned books at school that are not a particularly joyful experience. And I think there's so many programs that target early childhood and give access and distribute books to young children and their families, caregivers. I'm wondering if you're addressing the readers of all ages and how we can build joy for readers who tend to kind of plateau in their joy of reading as they continue through schooling.
2: Yep. I think you're absolutely right. And you see that, that sort of decline in interest from, as kids get older. I think parents and caregivers know at this point that like reading is good, especially for your zero to five-year-olds. I think that message has been received. And so our board books and our picture books are con- consistently flying off our shelves. But some of our middle grade books or our books for high schoolers, it's oftentimes like if for those kids, if that door, if they felt like that door was shut or they have other interests at that point, it's harder to pull them in. I think we don't, there's some point where we stop reading aloud to kids, right? a certain, I don't know, four, five, six, like sometimes they're not read to. I've noticed um, my kids are 14, 11, and three and a half. And we don't read a lot to our older kids, but we do read a lot to our three and a half year old. But I noticed the other day, my 11 year old was like sitting on the steps, just listening to his brother being read to. And I think that we probably do need to be creative and thoughtful about how we're creating opportunities, especially for kids who we think that door might be closing. And I think that's about variety and exposure. And so I think like with your seventh grader, what are her reading, what's her reading life like now? Is it just, is it just like a school-based reading life? If so, like that's not a whole, that's not vibrant enough, right? Um, And where does she claw back the time to bring back some of the joy in reading?
1: Yeah, and I wish this were a message that schools in general were receiving as, not that most schools aren't, but some schools are, there's a big disparity between what kids opt to read in their home reading lives and the texts that they're assigned in school. And by no way am I saying like, There shouldn't be some books that are a challenge or that kids wouldn't naturally choose on their own, but there also needs to be a way to create space for those in school as well. I'm seeing my seventh grader at home reading some of what you're saying, your early childhood, your childhood (laughs) kids are reading graphic novels and those things that are joy because her school reading identity has become kind of a slog. And it reminds me of when I was in graduate school and reading you know, peer-reviewed research. You spent so much time and effort slogging through that, that when you're reading on your own, you're like, oh, I'm going to pick up, you know, this chiclet or, you know, People Magazine or what have you. So as I think through these, I think through how are we making sure that kids are getting all of these different types of books so that their entire reading identity can be joyful.
2: Yeah. And I think it has to do with quantity too. There was, you know, there was a study, I think that was released last year and you probably actually know the details, but basically it talked about the, if books are available in the home, like in the everyday, where the everyday hustle and bustle happens, they are more likely to be read. And so I kind of think about that as like, where are the books? How many books? Are there a variety of books? You know, mm-hmm. are you as the adult helping to create either conversations about Books that might want to be read or going to the library and sort of helping to craft introductions or having maybe those conversations with teachers and talking about like, where is the space for this? Because part of it, yeah, we want our kids to to build knowledge and know and read challenging books, but also how are we creating lifelong readers? And I think, you know, the hard thing is when kids do get turned off, there are so many things grabbing for their attention that the older they get, the it's harder to pull them back in.
1: Yep, absolutely. So what's down the road for for Brooklyn Book Bodega? In
2: 2023, we are aiming to give out over 100,000 books to continue to work with Brooklyn community partners. And one of the things that we're focused on is building partnerships and continuing partnerships with non-traditional literacy advocates. And so what I'm talking about there is working with coaches and sports teams so that the kids who are in those. So for example, if you're a football coach, you but you're you want your kids to have reading, you're used to have reading lives, you you have books to distribute them. You can make literacy and reading part of the conversation. And so providing opportunities to work with folks that are instrumental in the lives of youth, but you might not see as like necessarily normally a straight line between them and literacy. We think coaches are really powerful people in the lives of kids. And I think if your team, if your coach is saying, hey, pick out a book, read a book, and then in a couple of weeks, we're going to give you more books, that that is really compelling and powerful. And so we're working for more partnerships like that with, I guess, literacy
1: adjacent folks. I love that. One of the things I think is so exciting about this moment in time with regard to literacy is how many people are having conversations about the importance of reading outside of who you and I are. And by that, I mean the sort of classic teacher turns literacy advocate. But we're seeing, you know, public figures and athletes and community centers and barbershops and salons and, you know, celebrities all having conversations about why reading matters. And so when kids are getting this message, not just from the caregivers and the parents in their lives, but from their teachers and from the coach that they look up to, who's telling them, you know, giving them advice on how to make a layup, they get the message that literacy is such an important part of their life. And it's such a such a powerful thing when people are coming together from so many different arenas truly really push forward with literacy advocacy.
2: Yeah, we love it. We have a, on our blog, on our website, we have an interview with one of the football, the team moms who we interviewed, who's been doing some literacy work with her team. It's pretty cool.
1: Well, I will definitely look for that because it's super fun to see all of those, those people. And we know how much kids look up to those figures in their lives. So they have such important messages to send. So knowing that you're a lifelong reader, I wanted to ask you a question that I always ask of guests. It's one of my favorite conversation starters. I'm hoping that you can share a book from your past or present that has really had a profound impact on you. It's a little different than the what's your favorite book question, but that book that just really resonates with you and that um, has never really left you. It can be a kid's book. It could be something you read 20 years ago. And as a lifelong reader, I'm sure if I, it's impossible to narrow it down to one. And if I asked you this question tomorrow, you might have a different answer, but what's your just general reaction? As I'm frantically
2: scanning the bookshelves, I'm like, ah, and you're so right. Tomorrow, I'll have a different one. But I, I, you know, I think I said that I have a, a preschooler and I spend a lot of time reading picture books. And I think picture books that push an interaction with the caregiver, parent, and child are really amazing. So I'm thinking of like Dewey's Talk by Carson Ellis or some of the I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, Herb Tule books, where you and the reader take your hands and he says like, push here. Or, or there's the shake it up, the paint dot pictures. Yes. So, um, like those. Right. And it's like shake, you know, smush the page together. What's going to happen? And it's like slow mo almost, right? Because we're used to these things happening, you know, on television or whatever. But when you stop and you read and you're controlling the, the storyline, you can sort of go back and forth. You're like, wait, that was yellow and that was red. And now I'm going to swish it together and pretend and turn the page. Wait, there's orange. It's like this amazing thing that happens in terms of discovery with the adult. And the, so there's, there are really, you know, I think a, a strong handful, more, I'm sure of these books that really leave their mark. I was, Dewey's Talk is this book by Carson Ellis and it's written in kind of this made up language. And as you go, you figure out what's happening and you discover. And then by the time you reach the end, you want to go back to the beginning because you're like, oh, I never followed this character or this thing that was happening. And so I think these books that really
1: lend themselves to discovery stick for me. And for the listeners out there, obviously they can't see your facial reaction, but my favorite thing when I ask people this is, how much they light up. They get energized. They evoke memories of their childhood or sharing a book with their children at home. And it's just such a, I talk about joyful experience because you're really asking people to reflect on something, which for most people has been a joyful experience. I've certainly had some people who say that this book was a really difficult book for them and it wasn't, but it was an important book for them. And I'm Apologize for putting you on the spot. Actually, when I, one of my first interviews for this podcast was Jason Reynolds and I asked him the question and he came up with some, you know, very poignant literary fiction or, and then he instantly turned the question on me and I had never thought about my own answer. And, you know, here I am talking to Jason Reynolds and I was like, oh, (laughs) so I appreciate it. And actually my, I still go with the answer that I gave to him. My answer was, um, Jonathan Kozel's Savage Inequalities, which I read in college and made me enter public education as a teacher. And then really that path has just led me all to throughout my life to where I am now. And I would imagine it's a book that is familiar to you and that, you know, resonated with your teaching experience as well. Right. We could go down a whole avenue
2: there. I'm like, oh, him. I, I feel like Dream Keepers is a book that I remember from my my grad school time and really thinking about classroom and impact and inequity.
1: Well, I'm so grateful that over the years we've connected to share exciting things going on at Brooklyn Bodega, share your really how you've evolved over not such a long history, but it's really been amazing to watch you grow and watch you take your passion, and translate that into the Brooklyn community. I will direct listeners to your website to find out more and how they can get involved. And I'm grateful for your time and for your passion and energy and to those literacy advocates that you started this work with as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Molly. I appreciate it.
0: That wraps it up for this episode of End Book Deserts. If you know of a person or program doing innovative work to get books into the hands of readers, email me at Molly at EndBookDeserts.com. For more about my work and for the program featured on this episode, check out our webpage at www.endbookdeserts.com. Follow me on social media at EndBookDeserts and share your stories and reactions with the hashtag EndBookDeserts. Until the next episode, happy reading.